Good morning, church. If you got a Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 10, and uh, we will continue that theme, singing uh, or learning more about, to sing better uh, about our Father who is faithful, as we just sang. Yes, this is who you are. We're going to see how faithful our heavenly Father is on this earthly Father's Day. And uh, if you've turned to Genesis 10 uh, and you see uh, the title or subtitle there of Genesis 10, The Nations Descended, and you begin to look down at uh, what is to come in this sermon, I wonder if we have any volunteers to read Genesis chapter 10. Yeah, this man was a faithful servant right there. He was going to do it. I'm not going to actually have you do it because, uh, just because. I mean, it's going to be rough, uh, this reading of all of these names. I'm going to read through them as we get to them. Uh, As exciting as reading a genealogy with that many names in it uh, would be, I think it would do us a little bit uh, better time-wise Uh, that we'll just uh, look at them as we go. Uh, But it is Father's Day. What a text to land on Father's Day, right? I mean, who could have planned it any better? Um, This is a a neat text, though, uh, because as we're going to see from this, uh, though many of us look backwards and think we are all sons of Adam. In fact, Uh, This is what C.S. Lewis called uh, the children in Narnia when they they got there. They were sons of Adam, and yes, that is true, but we're also sons of Noah because from uh, Noah come all nations. And so we see here uh, part of our family tree. And so this is important uh, to us, especially uh, nowadays as computers are able to tell us where we came from. Uh, All you have to do uh, is take a little swab of your mouth and send it back in, and these websites are going to tell you where you came from. Uh, I gave my dad one of these. I texted him this week. We gave him one a while back, and I have yet to see the results of this uh, two years, so I'm throwing him on the under the bus this morning. I even texted him about this week, did you ever turn that in? And he has yet to respond to me. <laughs> it's what? It's in his desk drawer. So we're going to see if we can pull this off this week uh, as a, uh, maybe I'll just use that as my Father's Day gift <laughs> this year. Uh, but there, we do this. We want to know where we came from. People uh, like to learn about their family trees, their genealogy, where their ancestors came from. And that's what uh, Genesis 10 really is about, and, and yet we all find our, our roots here. We all find that we, this was the start of, uh, or at least a section of our family tree. And, and not only us, but, but the entire world. In fact, that's really what uh, my first point is uh, in, in the text this morning. And so if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this point down, that all nations came from one sinful man. All nations of the earth that we pray for 
as a church, that we look around on the news when we look at a map or a globe, all of those nations came from this one sinful man. And I think it's important to note that this one, sin, this one man, Noah, is sinful, for that is where we just finished uh, our last text in Genesis chapter 9. It was describing that even after Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives had been saved through the flood, as God poured his judgment and wrath rightly and justly upon the world for their sins, God chose to save Noah and his family. And even though they were saved through the flood, they were still sinful on this side of the flood. And Noah fell into sin. Uh, he, he became drunk and he uncovered himself, of which his son Ham uh, boasted in his father's nakedness and, and gossiped about his father's nakedness. And it was there that Noah spoke for the first time and said, Cursed be Canaan, not his son Ham who sinned, but his grandson, Canaan, whom he saw had also inherited his sinfulness, the evil that was in his heart, had not only been passed on to his sons, but to his grandsons, and on and on and on. Uh, and yet, there was also a blessing back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26, where Noah blessed the Lord, who was the God of Shem. Uh, and said, let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. Uh, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Japheth found blessing, even salvation, in the tents of Shem. And, and it was Shem who worshipped the Lord uh, as his God. And so, that's the context this sinful family after this, this flood, being saved through the flood. And Moses records this genealogy. There in chapter 10, verse 1, uh, we see that, that bookmarker that we've seen several times up through Genesis 1 through 11, that phrase, these are the generations, uh, the toledot. These are the generations of, specifically in chapter 10, the sons of Noah. And you know them by now. Uh, if you haven't been with us, you are learning now for the first time. His sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And what proceeds is a, a genealogy of all nations that have come from one sinful man, and they're broken up by those three sons of Noah. So let's, let's look at them in, uh, as they come to us. First is the sons of Japheth. The sons of Japheth, it says in verse 2, and again, all of you pregnant families, pregnant peoples, here's your chance to find some names. Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Taras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togermah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanum. 
From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each, now listen, spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. I mentioned in 10.1, there's a, a bookmarker uh, in that phrase, these are the generations. Well, in chapter 10, this genealogy is broken up by what we see there in verse 5, specifically that phrase, in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. And Moses is recording this genealogy. He starts with Japheth. And if you were to take all of these or look in your study Bible and and look at the map that's provided there or take all of these and do an in-depth study of where these people were placed, these people, the, the sons of Japheth, would have been those that spread north of Israel from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Caspian Sea. Uh, Eventually, these people make the future Europeans or West Asians as they're referred to in verse 5 as a coastland peoples. And and it goes beyond um, just the sons of Japheth, but then it begins to describe two of those sons and their sons, uh, Gomer and Javan to give a little bit more detail of of who's to come. Some of these stand out later in our Bibles, and so we have a little bit more understanding of who they mean. Gomer, Magog, Tubal, and Meshech. They all show up later in Ezekiel chapter 38 and likely refer to the area of modern-day Russia and West Asia. Madai likely refers to uh, what we see later in the Bible as the Medes, Joven, uh, or uh, maybe better pronounced Ionian, are in reference to the Greeks. And Taras, people think, are probably the Italians. And so, even as this morning we prayed for the people of San Marino, we can see their descendants on that Italian coastland peninsula um, being them too, those nations that we prayed for this morning, find their um, heritage, even in this genealogy, though it be sinful. Uh, And then Tarshish. Tarshish, you may recognize, it pops up later in the Bible in the story of Jonah, likely referring uh, to the most western part of the known world, the area of Spain. And so when, when you begin to see those peoples placed on a map, you understand why they're the coastland peoples spreading Uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to the Caspian Sea, uh, and eventually becoming those future Europeans. You go beyond that, then we begin to see the sons of Ham. There in verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And then what Moses does is he goes into more detail in three of those sons, giving a little bit more genealogy. And then in one of those, he gives even more details regarding this this one person, I think, to highlight the, the evil that's in these families specifically. The sons of Ham, or I'm sorry, let's go verse 7. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, 
Rama and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, then, he goes even to the next generation, are Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod, great uh, a name to, to pass on to your next generation, uh, whose name literally means rebel. His name means rebel. So when I read Moses' description of, of this person, um, have that in the back of your mind. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went into Assyria, and he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, and Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Uh, Egypt, another one of Ham's sons, fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Neftuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Now, Gabe, aren't you glad I didn't accept your uh, volunteering to read some of these names? Uh, so here we have Ham, we have some of his sons, uh, and his grandsons even named here in this place. Uh, the sons of Ham, if the sons of Japheth moved north, then the sons of Ham are going to be those who move south. Uh, the sons of Cush, most of whom settle in and around Arabia. Uh, one of the sons of Cush, Havilah, um, may ring a bell because if you go backwards in your Bible, back to Genesis chapter 2, you might remember that the rivers that were described in Genesis chapter 2, the Pishon River, uh, was described as going through all of the region of the Havilah. And so we have a mention there of kind of not just, uh, not just sons mentioned here in, in Moses' genealogy, but peoples. Uh, and so he doesn't just mention these sons by name, but he mentions the peoples from whom come from them, whom, again, we, we need to stop and consider whom Moses is writing to. Moses is writing to the Israelites, the generation who are about to go into the promised land. Uh, a generation who lives much longer after this and yet knows the descendants of these sons and grandsons and peoples mostly as enemies, not as friends, but as foes. And so when Moses would have written these words down, this genealogy down, and, and his people would have heard these, he, they would have heard uh, of not those friendly benefactors, but those who are against them moving forward. Um, again, these are the people who settle down in the Arabian pen Peninsula and, and around that area, uh, all the way down to the south of, of that peninsula. And yet we get more explanation about one man uh, whose name is Nimrod. Why do we get this? The only reason that, that we get this, I think, is to highlight the evil 
that is there and the evil that is to come in the days ahead. Uh, Not only, like I said, does his name mean rebel, but he's described, uh, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Uh, Or he began to be a mighty man on the earth in that day. Mighty man, uh, for, for some of us who have been in this series, should stick out in our minds because if you went back to Genesis chapter 6 in verse 4, it describes that during that time there were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, who lived before the flood, during the flood, and after the flood. But they are not connected to goodness. They're connected to evil even in that time. And so he's connected with them. He's described as being a mighty hunter. Some of you might uh, like that description, being hunters yourselves. But then it goes on and it says um, that not only was he a mighty hunter, but he was one who built cities, built kingdoms, kingdoms that I would say go against uh, the people of God, cities that are built far away from the city of God. And the first one there described as Babel. And if you have really any Bible knowledge or, or Bible history, you know what is to come in these stories. Maybe in, even in Genesis chapter 11, a story that's known by many as the Tower of Babel that we will look at in the future. Or the city of Babylon that, that comes from this first city uh, that is known for its wickedness, is known for its evil, is known for destroying the city of Jerusalem in the year ultimately 586 and taking all of the Jewish nation as, as prisoners and slaves back to Babylon. Uh, even in the end and, and throughout the Bible, Babel and Babylon is used symbolically to describe evil, to describe nations as evil. Babel and and Egypt are both used in that manner, even in in the book of Revelation. Uh, They're used symbolically to to describe evil. And he goes and he builds Babel. Uh, Another one that that will be familiar, that will help us in the future, in verse 10, it says, in the land of Shinar. And if you looked in chapter 11, you would see in verse 2 that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So these are the people that we'll be talking about in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Not only Babel, but from that he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. That may stand out to some of you as the city in which Jonah was sent to. The city that Jonah was sent to to preach the good news of salvation by faith in the Lord God Almighty. And yet Jonah at that time did not want to go to those enemies. He wanted to go the furthest place away from there, which I described earlier as Tarshish. And yet he eventually is swallowed by a fish, spit out on the beach, And here's the word of the Lord again to go back to the the enemies in Nineveh and preach repentance to them. 
repentance of their sin that they inherited from this one sinful man here in this genealogy. And they, they hear the gospel, and they repent, and they believe. Some of them, some of those generations, for at least a season and for a time, but eventually they fall back into their old ways in the end. So Nineveh, Assyria, uh, all stand out to us as, as places of God's, uh, of Israel's enemies in the future, places of, uh, of slavery and, and places uh, that would eventually destroy uh, Judah and Israel in the end. We have another son of Ham. His name is Egypt. He's described in verses 13 and 14. And uh, as is understood, Egypt would have been those who eventually land in modern-day Egypt, both uh, Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt on the Nile, as well as stretching up towards Palestine in that area. And then we have uh, another of his sons, Canaan. And it says in verse 15 that Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, the Yarkites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Again, you see the bookmarker there, that, that, uh, that little phrase that sets those apart from what is to come in, in verse 21. When you read the sons of Canaan, we go backwards, we remember that it was Canaan whom Noah cursed because of Ham's sin in Genesis chapter 9. But as I read some of those names, maybe those names were more familiar to you than even some of the other ones. And that would be because as God's people go towards the promised land and into the promised land, it's those people who are enemies uh, of God's people. In fact, God tells Israel, Moses records, that they are to destroy them in the end. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 through 5, listen and see if this sounds very familiar. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, listen, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction." You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. That's the only reason God said that is because they would turn away your sons from following me 
to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord, God says, would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. God wanted his people to be set apart, and he promised and and told them that they would need to destroy these people. And so, uh, again, you can imagine as Moses's um, that generation that Moses was speaking to heard those names, they then were reminded of where they came from, of the sinfulness that was in them, and, and how special they were that God had chose to show his love towards and, and save them and set his love upon them. And so you have the sons of him. But then we get to verse 21, and you have uh, even more than that. You've got the sons of Shem, and this genealogy has been working down to this point. It's just now focusing in on where the Lord wants to focus in the coming chapters. So to Shem in verse 21, also, and before he even gets into the genealogy, he gives us a little bit of info. To Shem also, who happens to be the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. He Moses mentions in this genealogy, before even getting into all of the names and the sons of Shem, that Shem also, who was the father of all the children of Eber. And we'll see Eber pop up in just a moment in the actual genealogy, but Moses, when he's recording Shem's line, not only does he want them to know from where their enemies came from, that their enemies were descendants of this sinful man, Noah. But he also wants to remind them that they too are from this sinful man, Noah, being descendants of Shem. But he also wants them to know from whom they got their name from. Because later, you, you know that the Israelites are also known as the Hebrews. And this is where they get their namesake from, here in the man, Eber. Uh, Abraham will be called, in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham the Hebrew. Abraham the descendant of Eber, essentially. And, and Moses is writing this before he even writes their genealogy so that they know that this is from whom they come, as, uh, as he is the father of all the children of Eber. And in verse 22, it says that the sons of Shem then are Elam, Ashur, Arkpashad, Lud, and Aram. And then he describes some of their kids. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arkpashad, he says, fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. So here we are narrowing down, focusing on the genealogy that God wants us to focus on. To Eber in verse 25, it makes an important note. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. You may have a note there that tells you that Peleg means division. And, And 
was named, for in that day the earth was divided. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, that is probably a reference to what is going to be described in Genesis chapter 11 in the time during the Tower of Babel when the earth was divided and spread out uh, across the entire earth. Uh, that is helpful. Rather than jumping into a passage like Genesis chapter 11 and reading about the T Tower of Babel, it's important to go back and see that before this time, the earth was not divided, but during likely the life of Peleg, uh, the Tower of Babel is happening. But it also describes his brother, who was joke, named, whose name was Joktan, and it tells us who his descendants were. Joktan fathered uh, Almadad, Shalef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. Thirteen sons mentioned there. And Moses is right. All these were the sons of Joktan. Can you imagine? Thirteen sons in your household. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sefer to the hill country of the east. And these are the sons of Shem, again, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Uh, Moses is, um, again, narrowing down, funneling down, getting to what's to be most important at the end of this genealogy, namely the sons of Shem. And eventually, the sons of Eber. Eventually, the, the sons um, of, of Peleg. And on and on it will go until we'll see another genealogy pop up in Genesis chapter 11 that gets us all the way uh, to the man Abraham. But Moses wants his people to know that they and their enemies all descended from this one sinful man. All the nations of the earth descended from this one sinful man. All the nations, all the languages, all the peoples, all the clans of the earth descended from this one sinful man, which means all the nations, all the clans, all the languages, all of the peoples of the earth need a Savior. They, they need help. If left to themselves, they too would find themselves lacking when they faced the Lord God in the end. And that's why uh, we have good news in the coming pages of the chapter. Now, you probably are like, wow, you've already made it through the text. Look at what time it is already. And yet I have three more points, so we got to keep going, okay? But there are three points of real application. Um, in helping us see that trajectory uh, of this passage. Because yes, all nations come from one sinful man, but secondly, I want you to note that one man's faith became a blessing to all nations. That one man's faith, even in the midst of being a descendant of this one sinful man, Noah, one man's faith, namely Abraham, became a blessing to all the nations. Like I said, you could look ahead and look at Genesis chapter uh, 11 and see that 
that genealogy in Genesis 10 is, is singled out or the, the, the descendants of Shem are singled out and told in more detail. And it goes all the way down to a man named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see uh, that the Lord God chose Abram and set his love upon him, set his face towards him, um, and blessed him. And not only blessed him, but said he would bless all of these sinful nations that were just listed out through this one man. It says in Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house So leave everything that has been described in these genealogies before and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, listen, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So yes, all the nations of the world descended from that one sinful man, Noah. They were all in need of a Savior, but they would find that salvation. They would find that blessing in Abraham, who had yet to have a son. How were they going to find blessing? How were they going to find salvation in Abraham who had no descendants to add to this genealogy at this point? How were they going to be able to do that? And it was at that point that Abram too wondered, how? How am I going to be a blessing to all the nations? How are all of these sinful nations going to find salvation, Lord? And that's when the Lord told him to look to the sky, if you remember, and to look at the stars and to say your descendants will be as many as these stars. Would that happen physically? Not really. But would it happen spiritually? Absolutely. That we see in the Bible that though God, well, though first actually, Abram strived in his own efforts to attain a son, not through his wife, but through a servant. The Lord did honor him and give him a child with his wife, Sarah. And from that child came the nation of Israel after that. But it would not be a nation. It wouldn't be a physical lineage that people would find salvation and blessing from the Lord. It would be the faith of Abraham in the promise of the Lord whom he had made his God, just like Shem had before. It was uh, the faith of Abraham that would bring about blessing for all of these nations. This is why Paul writes so well in Romans chapter 4, in verse 13. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, sinful though they may be, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law or through a genealogy, 
but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null. And the promise, that promise of God in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 18 and on and on and on is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul goes on, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Not works, but rest on grace. Salvation may rest on grace. Blessing that was spoke to Abraham in that moment would rest on grace, not on works and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. And listen to this description. Not only a description of God whom Paul believes in, but this is whom Abraham believed God was. The one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. After reading a genealogy of this father gave birth to this son and that son gave birth to this son, we know that they're dying and dying and dying. And yet, Abraham believed that all of those who had put their faith in God as creator and sustainer of everyone and of everything, knew that God could bring them back to life to spend eternity with them. And so, yes, these nations, all of these nations have descended from one sinful man, and yet one man's faith, Abraham's faith in God, who gives life to the dead, became a blessing to all nations. Not just the nations who descended from Abraham, but those who followed Abraham's faith. Those who believed in Abraham's God enjoyed the blessing, enjoyed the blessing of salvation. And though all nations descended from one sinful man, and and yet one man's faith became a blessing to all nations... Yet to enjoy that blessing, third point I want you to note, all nations must come to one sinless man. Though Noah was a sinful man and had many descendants following after him and many came from him, if all the nations want to enjoy the blessing of life after death that Abraham knew was his, They, all those nations, must come then to one sinless man. And I would, could go on and say one sinless God-man, the very Son of God, Jesus Himself. You know, the only other place that this genealogy pops up is later on in Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, you get another genealogy. Uh, maybe uh, one of the most important genealogies in all of the Bible, though that this genealogy in Luke 3 is built on all of those other genealogies, and I'm thankful to be able to track it um, even in other places. 
But in Luke chapter 3, Dr. Luke gives us the genealogy of Jesus from his birth all the way back up to Adam. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 34, it reads, the, the, right in the middle of the genealogy, it says, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arkpashad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. Jesus' genealogy follows that same genealogy of, of chapter 10, but here's where Jesus' birth into this family had to be radically different. The virgin birth was not just a cool story like, oh, Jesus is different than us. Jesus had to be born of a virgin, uh, or else he would have inherited that sinfulness of Noah and all of those descendants after them. Jesus would have just been another name after all of those lists of names of one who has followed in that sinful nature and is in need of a blessing of salvation. But Jesus is different. That's why Luke records Luke 1 and Luke 2 and then gives the genealogy and says, no, Jesus is different. He was born of a virgin from a woman who had yet to be married, had not yet known a man, and yet God, the Holy Spirit, put Christ into her womb. Christ was born of the Holy Spirit, not of flesh. Jesus did not inherit the sin of Joseph and Mary. He was the God-man, the sinless God-man, who was placed in Mary's womb by God himself. That's why the virgin birth is so important. There had to be a break in this genealogy, and Jesus is the one who breaks the the, the chain of sinfulness in this genealogy. And that's why all nations must come to Jesus Christ, this one sinless man, to be able to enjoy that blessing, that salvation, that life after death that Abraham knew so well. This is why it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him, have faith in Him, shall not perish, shall not die, but have eternal life. Jesus Himself says those words so that all of those who would believe in the faith of Abraham, would enjoy the blessing of salvation and life after death through Jesus Christ. He who not only left heaven and came to earth, but he lived in accordance with the law. He perfectly obeyed the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And then at the end of his life, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly give up my life. Jesus willingly allowed himself to be arrested, submitted himself to his father's will. Uh, He was arrested, wrongly condemned, uh, was sentenced to crucifixion, was crucified, and suffocated and died there on the cross. 
He was taken down from the cross, buried in the tomb, and three days later was the first to show that you could live after death. And just like Abraham, by faith in God who gave his one and only son, we too who repent of our sins, acknowledge our sinfulness, inherited from Noah, yes, but acted upon by each and every one of us, that we would admit our sinfulness before God and believe upon the Son of God for that salvation and for that blessing, we also would not only get to enjoy life here, abundant life here on the earth, but we would get to enjoy eternal life after death here on this earth. All of the nations descended from that one sinful man, yet if they want to enjoy that blessing that came from Abraham, they, all nations must come to this one sinless God-man, Jesus Christ. And, and they will. I promise you, all nations, some from every clan, some from every people, some from every language that was used in that uh, marker back in Genesis chapter 10, some from every one of those would come to Jesus. They would come and they would bow their knee to Jesus. For the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They would come, and Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 gives us a picture of what this will look like in the end. It says in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, after this I looked, this is the Apostle John writing what he saw in his vision that the Lord Jesus gave him. He said, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Think about that. A multitude that no one could number. No stadium could hold them. Uh, no counters could count them. Uh, they stood before them. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, same wording that we saw back in Genesis chapter 10. And though they inherited a sinfulness from Noah, they can inherit a blessing of salvation through faith, the faith of Abraham, the faith in Jesus Christ. And they will be there in the end, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that is, Jesus Christ, who's clothed, they'll be clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out in a loud voice about that blessing, about that salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing. There's the word. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So not only was it said by God in the Old Testament to Abraham that God would bless all those who bless Abraham and follow in his, place, in his faith. Not only was it said to 
by Jesus that all who come to him in repentance and faith would enjoy the blessing of salvation, Jesus himself gives the Apostle John a picture of what it's going to look like when there will be people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and, and every language. So we sit here in the middle. We sit in the middle of the, um, the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Uh, after his ascension to sit on that throne. And yet we are in between that moment where all of those who have repented and believed will be standing around that throne. After he's come to get us to take him to be with him in the end to worship him as only he ought to be worshipped. We're in the middle. And so what are we to do with this blessing of salvation? Yes, we have inherited the sinfulness of Noah and acted upon it and loved it, in fact, enjoyed our sinfulness. And yet, at some point when the Lord opened our eyes to our brokenness because of our sinfulness, we repented. And we put our faith in the only one that could save us in Jesus Christ. And we too wanted to enjoy that blessing. And so we, like all of the nations, had to come to the one sinless man, Jesus Christ. What are we to do with that? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that we who are saved by faith are sent out to bless all nations. That's the last thing I want you to note. That all nations in the end must come to the one sinless man to enjoy the blessing of salvation. And yet those who are saved by faith are sent out to be a blessing to all nations. If you were to count the names in Genesis chapter 10, you would count 70 names listed in that genealogy there. And I think it's interesting, and not even just interesting, I think it's intentional that Jesus in Luke chapter 10, he chooses 70 individuals to send out to the nations to proclaim the gospel. Go, go read about it later this week. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus intentionally, I think symbolically, not only did He welcome 70 nations into His family by repentance and faith, but He is sending those 70 nations, 70 individuals symbolically out, two by two, to go and to preach the gospel to all nations. This is why Jesus' last words to those whom He had come to save after He had been born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, willingly gave up His life on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and rose from the dead on the third day. He commissioned all of those who had already repented and believed, already were enjoying the blessing of salvation, were already enjoying the abundant life that God had given to them, and were awaiting the eternal life that they were to have in the future. He commissioned them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You better believe it. All authority in heaven and earth. He is the sinless Son of God. He died and rose from the dead. He is the creator of the entire universe who came to give his life so that you could enjoy forgiveness. 
so that you could enjoy life now and forevermore. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all tribes, all clans, all people groups, all languages, Jesus says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And he ends it with a promise. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Until Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 is accomplished, I'll be with you doing this very thing. This is what we are to be about, church. We have... If it weren't for Christ, we would have been in that genealogy. Just carry it a little bit. Go Ancestry.com. Just fill, get, pay your money. Get your dues. Pay your dues. Get your genealogy. You would be in that, that line of descendants of Noah. And so would every other ethnicity, every other language group, every other people group. And yet Christ entered in, broke the chain of sinfulness, made a way of salvation so that you could then go and be a blessing to all nations. That's what we're to be about. That's why we pray for the nations every single Sunday morning, not to fill time. You know that I could fill that time. We don't do this just because. We want our hearts to break for the people of San Marino this week. We want to see the people of San Marino in that genealogy and realize that they are going to work themselves to hell if they don't hear the good news of salvation by grace in Jesus Christ. We want our hearts to break for people of every nation, people of every tribe, people of every tongue. And Graham and I and James, Ed was sick this past week, but I asked you to pray. I asked you to pray as we went. Uh, to, to some meetings this past week. And as we went to those meetings, it was like a display of the nations, was it not? We get to our hotel room, and I recognize an accent of my son Samuel, and I ask where this man was from. And he was from Rwanda, the neighboring country of, uh, of Samuel in Burundi. And, and to see the nations already represented from first you know, step on Tennessean soil. We get back into the car and we meet Tariku, uh, a, a man from Ethiopia whom we have just read about generations there, who by God's grace had heard the good news of Jesus Christ and had believed upon him for life everlasting and had an Ethiopian church who worshiped the Lord God Almighty in Amharic in Nashville, Tennessee of all places. We got back in the car another time. We met a uh, Burmese man named Leon, who also happened to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, had repented of his sins and believed and had attended a Burmese Christian church in Nashville, Tennessee. And we talked to him about the, the first missionary, known missionary, to go to uh, the country of Burma uh, back in the day, whose name was Adoniram Judson, who gave up everything. Just go and read the biography. There, there may not be a better one for you if you haven't read any. Go read the biography of Adoniram Judson 
and look at what he and his family gave up to make this gospel known to the nations so that they too could be welcomed into the family of God. Or another Uber driver, Tokir, who was from Uzbekistan. Uh, Unfortunately, this man has yet to put his faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He believes in, in, a, in Jesus Christ as a prophet, he himself being Muslim. And funny enough, he married a Christian. And he said that his, that, that, uh, his marriage to a Christian taught him patience more than anything else. And yet our encouragement to him in getting out of his car was to consider that Jesus was more than just a prophet, that he was the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christian, Nashville's no different than, than Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, Texas. We have the nations among us. And when you go out, remember that you don't go out just to enjoy life this next week. You go out having been saved from sin in Noah's genealogy to be adopted sons and daughters in our heavenly father's new genealogy. You've been taken out of this one and placed into a new one if you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. And you're to take that good news to those who, have, who are still in Noah's genealogy, have yet to, by faith, be placed in Abraham and Jesus and God's new genealogy of grace. We have that opportunity week in and week out when we go among this city, whether they don't look like you and you can tell they may be from a different place or whether they look exactly like you. You ought to engage in conversations to see whether or not their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, in God the Father's genealogy. That's what we're sent out to do. That's what we pray that our church would be known for, that we would be known as a people who uh, are among all nations, who have believed on Jesus Christ, and who are sent to all nations. But not just here. Uh, We're not only to pray, and we're not only to go to those who it's easy to go to and happen to have come to us here in this city. We're called to give so that we can send individuals who have been called by God to go to those nations. And that's why we as a church are intentionally, sacrificially giving as much as possible. The more you give, the more we'll give to missionaries who feel the call of God, have, whose hearts have been broken, and who have been drawn by the Lord to go to a specific people group to make this gospel known. Not only are we to give financially, but we are to go, to give some time here on this earth, in this life, to go, take a short-term trip, to go support some of those missionaries we give the dollars to, and to maybe consider, some of you may may need to consider whether or not the Lord might be calling you in the coming days, weeks, months, years, decades, to go and make this good news known to all nations, people of all languages, all tribes, all tongues. I want you to consider that. What's the application of Genesis 10? You read through Genesis 10, you see all those names, and you say, so what if you 
have been one who have been saved in the promise of, Abra- promise of God to Abraham through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are sent in one form or another, sent to pray, sent to share, sent to give, sent to go. So consider how, not if the Lord is sending you, how is he sending you this week? And if you have yet, you know in the depths of your heart that you fall in the footsteps of Noah, sinfulness, evil, wickedness, and you have yet to repent of your sins and believe on the promises of God, the promises to Abraham of blessing and of salvation, the promise of Jesus of life now and forevermore, salvation from sin. If you've yet to repent of your sins and believe, I urge you this morning to not let another minute go by so that you can be plucked from the genealogy of Noah and one man's sinfulness and placed into the genealogy of Christ and one man's, one God-man's righteousness. So when the Lord God looks at you at the end of your days here on the earth, he doesn't see your genealogy of Noah. He sees your genealogy of Christ. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in to blessing forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do this morning in plucking people from our earthly genealogy and placing us in a heavenly genealogy of Christ by repentance and faith. God, would you save some this morning? Would you reveal the sinfulness of those who have yet to trust you as Lord and Savior so that they might repent and believe and hold fast to your death and resurrection as their only hope for life in the end. God, I pray that you would help us as a church be spurred on to be a people who are committed to getting the gospel to every people, every language, every clan, every nation, knowing that we're living in between the times, the times of when you have sent, out, sent us out to do so and the times in which it will be fulfilled. Do we not want to be a part of that? Do we not want to bring it to its completion even quicker? Lord, I pray that you would humble us as a church, humble us as leaders, humble us as members. May we not spend our lives, may we not spend this week, may we not spend this day on ourselves, but spend it on you, worshiping you as only you are due, spreading the good news of your kingdom so that others might be plucked from one earthly genealogy to another heavenly genealogy. Break our hearts for the nations, God, as we go out into this city. And Lord, I pray that you would call some to even greater levels of obedience than in the past. Whether that be in their praying, their giving, or even in their going. 
that they would commit to give a, a week or two to make this gospel known to the nations in the next year, that they would be willing to give a couple years of their life at some point to be able to go to the nations, that they might even give up the rest of their life to make this good news known to all nations. God, Spirit, blow among us and do a work that we cannot explain this morning, and yet we might see the fruit of it, the fruit of your work, the fruit of your hand. We love you. We thank you for showing your love to us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.